Welcome to Ancient Heroes, where we explore the mysteries and myths of the ancient world. I'm your host, Patrick Garvey. You can find the show notes and learn more about ancient history at ancientheroes.net. Okay. Hi, everyone. We've got a fun episode today. The question is, could an ancient fighter defeat John Jones? So first off, who is John Jones? Not everyone listening to the podcast follows mixed martial arts, I'm sure. John Jones is basically the best fighter of the last decade of this recent generation of the UFC. He is more or less undefeated. He did have a fight where he got disqualified because of illegal performance-enhancing drugs and another where he uh, got disqualified or, or technically lost because he threw an illegal strike, but he was winning that fight. So for all practical purposes, he is undefeated. He is just the best fighter in the world for most of the last 10 years, and if we had if he, if current day humanity had to put up one fighter to go against someone from the ancient world there's obviously there would be some disagreement about this but i think if there was a vote most martial arts experts would choose john jones so could john jones defeat a fighter from the ancient world the scenario that i'm laying out is basically just a death match one-on-one, no weapons, in some open environment like in the desert, on the plains of Troy, like in a movie, in a no-holds-barred fight, could John Jones beat the best fighter from the ancient world? So, when I first started thinking about this, my instinct was that John Jones would definitely beat an ancient fighter. And when I say an ancient fighter, I'm talking about specifically a fighter from the ancient Greek and Mediterranean world. Not talking about the Vikings or someone from the ancient South American civilizations or something like that. For one, I don't know as much about those ancient cultures, but I also know that in the ancient Greek world, they developed the sport of pancration and a mixed martial arts style in more depth than anywhere else in the ancient world when we start talking about going into the times of BC. They were they had the most sophisticated fighting art, and they had the Olympic Games where the sport of pancration was practiced. So I think it's safe to say that probably the fighter would have to come from the ancient Greek or Mediterranean world. Um, so... Like I said, when I first started thinking about this, my instinct was that John Jones would definitely defeat an ancient fighter. Now, I'm going to go through some of the history on, on Pancration, and I'm going to talk about what some of my main points would be when it comes to who would win. But all I'll say is, after diving into this, I am now way less sure that John Jones would be able to, to defeat the top fighter from the ancient Mediterranean world. So uh, before we get to the reasons why I'm less sure, let's talk about the history of Pancration, which is the martial art, the mixed martial art of the ancient Greek world that involves striking and grappling. So ground fighting, but also striking 
boxing, kicking, that kind of thing. It was the first hybrid mixed martial art that would have looked something like what we have today. It Pancration translates into all power, uh, presumably referencing the fact you could use all of your limbs and you could you had a lot of techniques at your disposal. Like I said, it combined wrestling and boxing with submissions and uh, and kicking and that kind of thing. There were no rules except no biting or gouging. So you couldn't use your fingers to gouge the eyes and try to pull the eyes out uh, or gouge the mouth or the nose or something like that. So no biting and no gouging. You could win by knockout or submission. And there were occasionally deaths in pancreation from somebody getting choked to death or something like that. So according to the ancient legends, Heracles and Theseus, two of the great heroes of the ancient world who we've talked about in this podcast, they invented pancreation. Their exploits and deeds were the beginning of pancreation. Theseus allegedly defeated the Minotaur in the labyrinth of Crete using pancreation-type techniques, and Heracles used these techniques to defeat the Nemean lion. That's how you see that image of him choking the lion from behind in some art and stuff like that. Uh, that was a pancreation technique. That was a choke similar to a rear naked choke that's used today in mixed martial arts. So, so we have this legendary history and origins of pancreation. But from a historical, spect- historical perspective, we know that pancreation was introduced into the Olympic Games in 648 BC, and it had been being practiced for some amount of time before the 7th century. So we don't know, historians debate whether that was 100 years before, 50 years before, but there is some evidence that it was being practiced even back all the way into the second millennia BC. So it could have been being developed for hundreds of years before it was introduced into the ancient Olympic Games. Once it was in the Olympic Games, it quickly became one of the favorite sports of spectators, and it offered some of the highest prize money in competitions throughout the ancient Greek world, As we know, it wasn't just the Olympic Games. There were other games. There were other competitions, and pancreation was one of the top sports. We also know that soldiers from the ancient Greek world trained in pancreation, and it was sort of seen as a last resort if you got separated from the army or you had lost your weapons or something like that. They would rely on pancreation and martial arts to defeat their opponents. So they were using this in life or death situations, and that means they were probably a little more comfortable using uh, the art of pancreation in the sport itself. They were training for something even more life or death than the sport. And like I said, you could occasionally die even just by competing in pancreation. We know that the Spartans were experts in pancreation, and they used it in combat, including at Thermopylae, where the accounts say that after, as a, at their last stand, after they had been nearly defeated and lost their weapons, they resorted to this hand-to-hand combat to defeat the Persians. However, the Spartans did not compete in the intra-Greek games in the Pancration events. So they only used Pancration on the battlefield, not in competition. We also know that Pancration was practiced extensively by the Macedonian army under Philip II, Alexander the Great's father, and Alexander the Great. They really valued Pancration and their soldiers that knew Pancration that were experts, 
and they promoted them within the army. There's an account of Philip II practicing pancreation techniques and sparring in front of a crowd of his army. So he really valued that. It reminds me a little bit of those videos you may have seen of Vladimir Putin, the dictator of Russia, doing judo demonstrations for the media and that kind of thing to show how tough he is uh, because he is actually a black belt in judo. And Alexander the Great also valued pancreation, and there's an account of one of Alexander the Great's soldiers using pancreation in a challenge, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But there's also speculation that because Alexander the Great's soldiers knew pancreation, that as they spread their empire and conquered more lands all the way into India and Asia, or really just India, I should say, that they transferred some of this knowledge about pancreation to the peoples there. And according to some, this may have inspired some of the development of martial arts in India, which eventually inspired arts throughout Asia that became the traditional martial arts that we think of today that eventually have evolved into the world of mixed martial arts. So it could be that there's this through line from the Asian traditional martial arts all the way back to pancreation from the ancient Greek world, which is interesting. What we do know is that pancreation was being practiced in the ancient Greek and Mediterranean world for more than a thousand years before it faded in popularity during Roman times when a Roman emperor banned it at the end of the 4th century AD when they started to ban a lot of different things, including pagan activities and stuff like that as the empire became Christianized. So over a thousand years, pancreation was being developed and used in the ancient world. So now let's talk about a few of the athletes from the ancient world who went down as legends for their skills in pancreation and as fighters. It would probably be one of these fighters that John Jones would have to defeat in order to really say, that he would have been able to beat the fighters of the ancient world. Okay, so the first athlete slash fighter is Theogenes. Theogenes lived in the early 5th century BC, and he won victories in all the combat sports at the time, including Pancration at the Olympics. After he won the Pancration event at the Olympics, he toured the Mediterranean world, winning more than 1,300 in some accounts over 1,400 victories in various athletic and combat competitions. So he was just an incredible athlete and was logging a record that had never been seen before. Because of this, a legend grew out of his life that he was the son of Heracles, the mythical hero Heracles. And one fascinating reference I found to Theogenes was in the 2011 mixed martial arts film Warrior, which features some really good actors, including Tom Hardy, and is just an excellent film. I highly recommend it, even if you're not a fan of mixed martial arts. It's a great sports movie. Uh, The character, one of the main characters, Tommy, who's played by Tom Hardy, as a kid growing up, was a competitive wrestler, and and at one point... They say that he had set out on a quest to win more matches than the Greek legend Theogenes. So he was trying to win more glory than Theogenes. So just a little bit of trivia there. The next athlete slash fighter is Polydamus. 
Polydamus lived in the late 5th century BC, so a little bit after Theogenes. He won the Pancration event at the Olympics in 408 BC, and he was legendary for his size and strength. He allegedly killed a lion with his bare hands, which obviously invokes Heracles, and he allegedly stopped a chariot that was moving at full speed with one arm, stopped it at a standstill. So, of course, these are surely exaggerations. However, Polydamus did win the Olympic Games in Pancration, and some of this must be based on the truth. Okay, and the third athlete I want to talk about is Dioxippus from the 4th century. He won the Pancration event at the Olympic Games in 338 BC and had no challengers. No one was willing to fight him. He later served in Alexander the Great's army, and a soldier challenged him in Alexander's army. And Dioxippus agreed to the challenge, and when the soldier showed up, he was wearing full armor and had multiple weapons, and Dioxippus decided to have no armor, no weapons, and he still, he disarmed his opponent and defeated him, and it was a very embarrassing situation that, that he was able to defeat one of Alexander the Great's top soldiers without any armor or weapons. So, those are three of the top fighters from the ancient world. There's a list of winners of the Pancration events. There are others, but those are three that seem to stand out. That if you were going to select one fighter from the ancient world to face someone like John Jones, you'd choose probably one of them. Okay, so now let's talk about this debate and what are the things that we need to consider when trying to decide who would win in a fight, one of these ancient fighters from the ancient Greek world or John Jones. And, and for John Jones, we can just sort of use a stand-in as the best fighter from current, current day. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is just the technical fighting ability. We obviously know that fighting, it's not just random uh, bar fight. Fighting is a highly technical sport for those that practice it professionally. Pancration, like I said, was practiced in the ancient world for more than a thousand years. So it became pretty refined. When I first started looking into this, I had seen some images of what looked like some submission techniques or something like that from the ancient world. And I figured that, well, they probably vaguely knew some of this stuff, but it was probably pretty rudimentary and just pretty sloppy compared to modern day standards. But as I did more research and realized, wow, they'd been practicing this stuff for hundreds of years. This sport had hundreds and even over a thousand years to develop. And I started reading the accounts and looking at the techniques. I realized that they had a lot of the fundamental techniques. They knew what they were doing, the strangleholds, the takedowns, the striking. They were aware of what went into a mixed martial arts fight and they were developing pretty refined techniques. So it, it went much deeper than I would have guessed initially. However, I still think that a modern fighter like John Jones would be technically superior to one of these ancient fighters. Modern mixed martial arts has not been a lot around that long. The first UFC was in 1993. It's really only existed in its current form that you see if you are watching a UFC match where they're using the cage and all that. That's really only been around for a few decades. But they are building 
the, the current day mixed martial arts is drawing on martial arts traditions from around the world, the traditional Asian martial arts like Taekwondo, Kung Fu, Judo, Japanese Jiu Jitsu, etc. The South American arts like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, the European arts like some of the kickboxing traditions that are in Europe. Uh, which also are in Asia as well, like Muay Thai. And then North America, we developed really good wrestling and boxing in North America. And there's obviously uh, combat sports in Russia. There's combat sports across the world that all can trace their lineages back hundreds and thousands of years. So the modern style of mixed martial arts, the modern sport of mixed martial arts, is drawing on an even broader foundation of skills than they would have had access to in the ancient world. We also have way better technology today, and the fighters are taking advantage, uh, taking advantage of this technology. The strikers are able to train with pads where their trainers are holding pads, and they're able to develop really sophisticated striking patterns and techniques that way. They're able to review video, and they have coaches, and it's just a very sophisticated sport now. It's really exploded. And those technological advantages would play a role. The training is just better today than, than what it could have been in the ancient world. One advantage that the ancient fighter would have would be with the rule set. The rule set, like I said, there were only a couple things that weren't allowed, like biting and eye gouging and other kinds of gouging. That's a much simpler rule set than we have today. There are more rules in, in mixed martial arts today in the UFC. It's supposed to simulate a fight, and it does a pretty good job of that. But there are still quite a, a few rules to make it more of a sport, a little bit less brutal, less you know, less life-threatening to the fighters that are fighting. So to that extent, if you put an ancient fighter and a current-day fighter in a death match, a one-on-one death match, the ancient fighter would have a little bit of an advantage with the rule set because they were used to slightly more brutal conditions in their fights. I also want to talk about a couple other things that I think play into this. One is the general size of people. We're going to start talking about kind of the pool of candidates that you would want to be able to take from the ancient world to fight a modern-day fighter like John Jones. People were smaller in the ancient world in ancient Greece, the average male was about 5'6". In modern day Greece, the average male is about 5'9". So three inches shorter on average. I used to work at a history museum and I remember seeing a full suit of armor and I expected that suit of armor to be huge. That's what you would think based on movies and things like that. In reality, I would have had trouble fitting into the suit of armor that we had on display and I'm only about 5'7". So people were smaller the further back you go in general. As far as I know, I don't know of an example where people are smaller now. So the overall pool of people was smaller. And you have to factor that in because John Jones is a freak athlete who's over six feet tall, has the wingspan of someone who's probably six seven, And you're going to have fewer genetic freaks like that in a world where everyone is smaller for the most part, and the average is different. 
Of course, they're going to have outliers too, but the outliers in general aren't going to be as as uh, much of an outlier as we might have today. So the other thing I want to talk about is the overall population. The estimated population of ancient Greece, who would have been the key population of people practicing this ancient art of pancreation, which to my knowledge is the only ancient art that really would have been able to stack up to the current day mixed martial arts. Less than a million people in ancient Greece in 800 BC. And only 8 to 10 million total by 350 BC. So the population was increasing rapidly, but it was still so much less than the global population today and even just the population of the United States today. In the United States, I think it's something like closing in on 350 million maybe. In the world, it's nearly 8 billion and John Jones is the best fighter in the entire world, or at least has been for most of the last, dec- uh, the last decade. So that alone, the size of people in general and the population pool, that does, that's nothing definitive because all we need is one person to beat John Jones. But it does tell me something about the, about the likelihood that there are going to be as many outliers and as m- many possible candidates that would be able to defeat him. And I think we have to keep that in mind. Someone in the one percentile of size in the ancient Greek world might only be in the five percentile of size for modern day people. So I think that that's relevant, that that we're just dealing with populations that have for one, a much smaller population and, well, smaller both in the total number of people and the actual size of people. Um, Okay, so where does this leave us? Like I said, my original thought on all this was that I would bet a lot of money, with even with pretty bad odds, on John Jones to beat any fighter from the ancient Mediterranean world. It really wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have bothered me to put down a lot of money on that. I just would feel very confident that he would have won. But after researching this for a few days, learning the depth of the Pancration art and how long it had been being practiced and how seriously it was taken and how venerated of a sport it was for so long in the ancient world. I started to doubt that a little bit. One thing that people fall victim to a little bit is the idea of presentism. I've been accused of this before. The idea that you are assuming that what's happening today is better than it was in the past for whatever reason. One reason I think that comes into play is we have highlight reels of John Jones in the current top fighters that make them look like superheroes and doing incredible things. We can see it with our own eyes. We don't have that in the ancient world. All we have are these stories. So it's not as visceral. You don't know if you can trust it as much. Maybe if we had those highlight reels, we'd be seeing a few of these ancient fighters doing stuff that even John Jones couldn't dream of doing. We don't know. So I want to make sure that we're not falling victim to that when we're thinking about this question. Overall, because of 
what I still believe would be the technical advantage that the modern-day fighter John Jones would have over the ancient fighter. And because John Jones is the champion and the top person out of a much larger population pool that is that has a larger average size and all of that, I'd still take John Jones over anyone in the ancient world at any given time if I had to bet. So if you said, you know, we're going to put John Jones up against the best fighter in 350 BC, whoever that is, or the best fighter in 500 BC, whoever that is, easily I'm taking John Jones. And I'd be pretty confident. But if the question is, is there a single fighter across all those centuries of the ancient world that could defeat John Jones in a no-holds-barred match? I'm way less sure about that now. I, I went from feeling like maybe 95% sure that John Jones would win to now maybe 60%. I still would favor him over anyone, but I'm less sure. And as we know, in a fight, if you have two people that are kind of in the same league, anything can happen. You know, once the, if, if they're close enough in skill level and ability then even a fighter that's a slight underdog can land a huge punch or have a great day or get lucky or whatever it is and defeat their opponent. Fights are very unpredictable. That's why it's such a popular sport. So we're really talking about, is there someone who may have been in John Jones's league? And I'm starting to think more and more, the more I look into this, the more I think it's possible. So that's where I'll leave this. Obviously, this is a hypothetical. There's nothing definitive here, but I hope it's an interesting thought experiment and maybe you learn something about some of the history. I'm going to keep looking into it. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks to Derek Feischer for composing the music used in this episode. If you like the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. Until next time.